Welcome to Ride Ever Stride, episode 36. Welcome to Ride Every Stride with Van Hargis. This is a podcast about horsemanship and more. Our goal is to educate, motivate, inspire, and entertain you through an exploration of everything horsemanship and the intersection of horsemanship and humanship. My name is Laura McClellan, and I'm your co-host on Ride Every Stride, and I'm happy to be back with Master Horseman Van Hargis. And how are you doing, Van? Laura, I'm just absolutely wonderful. Holidays are kind of behind us, and, and I'm kind of relieved in one way and because I'm so excited about the upcoming year. And, and you know, we had a kind of an odd, an odd Christmas and, and holiday down in South Texas. Like, believe it or not, up in the 80s was part of it. And I, and I had a daughter. One of my daughters went off to California, and she chuckled, and she said, Dad, I should have stayed home because you guys had temperatures in the 80s, and Southern California was just in the 50s. So she kind of wished she'd have stayed, <laughs> kind of wished she'd have stayed in Texas on this one. But I tell you, we're we're really excited, Laura, about the upcoming year. And in fact, I'm going to start this year off, and we're going to try to do this a little bit more, but I'm going to start this year off with a podcast regarding a question that I had recently. Someone sent something into the to the website, and they were asking uh, about a horse that was just very eager and very impatient. And of course, I chuckled, and you know already what quote I threw out there at them. You know, just it's something you've heard several times before. And I thought we'd make that the topic of today's discussion. And the and the quote's pretty simple. It's um, every good horse anticipates, but every great horse waits. Mm-hmm. And it's just real important for us to understand what that really means. And that's what we're going to talk about today. And I have heard you talk about that. So what does it mean for a good horse to anticipate, but a great horse to wait? Well, let's think, for example, and I'll try to think of s- some different scenarios. And then then I'll actually touch base on the one that the, the question was about today. But this is the one that's most common. And I think a lot of people have experienced this. And, and for anybody who's ever seen me do this particular presentation at a horse expo, it really turns into more of a, a comedy routine. But if, if you'll think about a lot of times when we get ready to mount a horse and we go through all the all the steps, right? I mean, some of us might wear jeans that are too tight or, or we might have eaten one too many times at McDonald's, whatever the case may be. And, and we try to get ready to get in the saddle and we're in that stretching process where we're stretching our jeans and we're flexing our hips and we're trying to get ourselves all situated. And then we start making stabs at the stirrup with our foot until eventually we start making our way up into the saddle. And right about the time we get our foot in the stirrup and we start pulling our way up, the horse begins to walk off. And that's the anticipation part. You know, why is the horse walking away? Well, he's anticipating. And what is he anticipating? A lot of times he's anticipating the fact that many times when we get in the saddle, the first thing we do is we go somewhere. So if we go somewhere, the horse begins to think, well, wait a minute, I'm going to go somewhere before Laura or Van or John or whomever the case may be kicks me in the rib cage and makes me go somewhere. So the horse is just anticipating. In our world, it might be the same as someone anticipating what we're about to say, and they finish our sentence. You know, so every good horse does that. I mean, every good horse is smart, just like we humans are smart. And we anticipate what someone's about to say. And oftentimes before they say it, we begin to nod our head in confirmation or, or whatever the case may be. So the anticipation thing is is really quite natural. So every good horse is going to do it, and especially if we do routines. So the more we ride our horses and the more we go through these various routines that we may have, 
we're going to create horses that anticipate certain things, even in activities that we do. For example, you take team roping is one of the most common. You've got a team roper that comes out and you rope the steer and you go left. And it's just repetition. Rope the steer and go left. You rope the steer and you go left. And if you don't break that run into a whole bunch of components, then after a while, what's the horse thinking after you rope the steer? Go Go left. left. So obviously that's part of his job. He's a good horse if he anticipates his job. He's trying to get ahead of the curve. You can't blame him. So how would we keep him honest? We'll talk about that in a moment. What about the barrel racer who runs at the barrel and turns? Rather be left barrel first or the right barrel first, but she runs to the barrel and she turns. After a while, what are the horses thinking when they see a barrel? Run to the barrel and turn. Sounds like a good idea, doesn't it? But what if they anticipate too early and maybe if their timing is off and then suddenly we have knocked over barrels, which takes you completely out of the run. What about, like we mentioned earlier, the horses that we're trying to get on? You go to mount them and the horse is moving around. So then we got to go through that stretching out process all over again, trying to get ourselves back into the saddle. Uh, I mean, and, and the list goes on and on and on. What about a horse that you load him in a trailer and the minute he hears the back door open, he comes bolting out because he anticipates, hey, when that door opens, I can get out of this darn thing. All of those things are symptoms of anticipation, which, believe it or not, is actually a good thing. But the reality, sometimes good isn't good enough. We should really focus on what it's going to take to get our horses to go from good to great. And I don't know about you, but when it comes to my safety, I want a great horse. When it comes to my performance, I want a great horse. So I jokingly tell people, yes, every good horse anticipates, but every great horse waits. I don't know about you, but I'm in the great horse business. I would rather have great horses in my life as opposed to just good ones. And so how do you get there? I mean, mean, I'm understanding what you're saying. A a good horse is learning from what it experiences. It learns your routines. It learns kind of what you typically do. But you're saying that's not necessarily the best option because it's, it's thinking for you in a sense. So how do you get from good to great? What do, you, what do you need to do to make that happen? Well, you touched briefly on something that's very, very important, and, and that's waiting on us. In other words, I, and I don't mean this negatively, but I want the horse to realize that, hey, my job is to be the brains of this operation, and your job is to be the bronze of the operation. I mean, so we've got brain and brawn, and I want the horse to understand that I'm the leader. I've, I've earned that right, and I'm going to continue to work hard to earn that right, and I just want my horse to learn to to learn to trust me and to learn to be patient and wait on me as its leader. So that's the key. So to answer your question, how do we get those things? Well, let's create some activities. For example, let's go all the way back to the first one we touched base on about the mounting. Ever how we get in the saddle. In other words, if we go through that stretching process we talked about before, or if you're getting humble like me and you're not afraid to use a mounting block anymore, (laughs) um, and you, you lead a horse up to a mounting block, or you lead him over to a fence, or you lead him over to a trailer. In other words, no matter what your technique for getting into the saddle, that's the perfect time to do what we call a pilot check. In other words, once you get there, don't go anywhere. Just sit and do nothing for a moment. If nothing else, just reach down and pet the horse and say, thank you, horse, for standing still. You know, (laughs) thank you for making my step into the saddle easier. Thank you for not making me stretch off the fence or whatever the case may be. So take that moment and pause, take a deep breath, pet your horse, reward him for standing still. And then that's also a good time to to check out your equipment. Because like if you're at the ranch where, where I ride it, then, you know, oftentimes I've got somebody else riding my saddle. You know, I've got an assistant that works with me and He's a little bitty short leg fella, and I'm a very long leg fella. So 
if he ever rides my saddle, it's a good opportunity for me to check those stirrups before I ride off into the sunset. So I want to get in the saddle, look, and make sure my stirrup length is correct and make sure that my reins are adjusted properly in my hands and you name it. We could go through you know, every bit of our equipment and just do what I call a pilot check before we go anywhere. And after a while, the horses are going to begin to think that when we get in the saddle, we're not instantly going to kick him in the rib cage and make him go someplace. Oh, well, when Van gets in the saddle, we're not going anywhere, so I can just stay here and relax. So that's one thing that we can do is just change the routine a little bit and make the routine for us simpler and safer. But there's other exercises we can do as well. For example, there's one exercise that I do a lot, and it's a kind of a multitasking exercise. And I'm going to focus on my ABCs, if you want to call it that, which is forward movement, control of forward movement, and then lastly, the stopping of forward movement. But I might do it in a particular area of the arena that I can, uh, let's say, do a circle. And I might do a circle, and every time I get to a very specific point in that circle, I'm going to stop and turn around and go the other direction until I get to that point again. And then I'll stop, turn around, and go the other direction. I don't care if I'm walking, trotting, or loping, whatever the case may be, but but I'm just going to stop at the exact same spot each time. I'm going to turn around at that exact same spot each time, and I'm going to transition back into my gate again, whether it be a walk, trot, or a canter, and go back around the circle and stop at that same spot again. Now, after we do that several times, what do you think that horse is thinking when he gets to that spot? He's thinking, stop, turn around, and go. You see, but what I try to do in that situation is feel my body or feel my horse. And if I go to get to that spot and the horse begins to anticipate, and how do I know that? He slows down before I ask him to slow down, or he stops before I ask him to stop. And the moment that I feel that, I just keep riding him. We just don't stop in that circle. We just keep going in the circle. And then we get to that spot again, you know, get to that spot again after completing the second circle. And again, I'm just waiting on him. And I'm not setting him up to fail. I'm actually just setting him up to see if he's going to succeed. Because all I did was tell him to go forward, go forward to the left, go forward to the left at a trot or walk or whatever the case may be. But let's just use this one as a trot. Forward, forward to the left, forward to the left at a trot till we get to the spot. Then we're going to stop. Then we're going to turn around. Then we're going to go forward, forward to the right, forward to the right at a trot until we get to that spot. And then once we get to that spot, we're going to stop, turn him around. We're going to go forward, forward to the left, forward to the left at a trot until we get to that spot. And sooner or later, the horse is going to figure out every time we get to that spot, I know what Van's going to do. He's going to stop me and we're going to turn around and we're going to go again. So again, I'm going to feel for the horse. And if he begins to anticipate, all I'm going to do is break the routine. I'm just going to squeeze him forward and keep him moving. And then we come to that spot again as long as he's not anticipating. And I'll know that again by how the feel, if if the horse is keeping the cadence that I'm wanting to keep. And if he keeps moving fluidly and he keeps moving evenly in his stride, then we get to keep working. And if I feel him begin to anticipate, I'm going to squeeze him and make sure he keeps working. But if it feels like everything's going good, then I can stop him and turn him. So see what I'm doing? I'm kind of breaking the routine. I don't want the horse to be so busy with his mind that he's beginning to think and anticipate what it is that I want him to do. I want him to be kind of like that Minuteman soldier that's always ready, but he doesn't know quite what he's ready for until he's called to battle. And that's kind of what I want my horse. I want him to be ready, want him to be prepared, want him to know how to do the things that I want him to do. And I just want him to sit and be patient and wait for the cue or the command, whatever you want to call that, 
to tell the horse what to do. And then the minute that we do tell him, I want him to know how, and I want him to be ready to do it. And so is part of the point of this that the great horse that waits is paying attention to you, that is is tuned into you instead of just going into autopilot, thinking it knows what you want. Absolutely. You hit the nail right on the head. I mean, that's it, that's it to a T. And it's not just about stopping at a certain spot or, or ducking left after the rope or ropes to steer or turning before a barrel. It could be something as, as simple as a horse loping a nice big circle. And then when they get to a certain spot of the circle, they lean in. We call that dropping a shoulder. So the horse drops his shoulder. Well, why is he dropping the shoulder? It's not to his advantage to do it, but he's anticipating us asking the horse to turn. So he, he anticipates that and he drops his shoulder to, to kind of lean into the circle, so to speak. He thinks he's making his job easier by, by doing that. And he thinks he's doing the right thing by doing that. Another thing that gets me is that maybe sometimes in the, and I, I'm going to say this, but I'm going to say it very carefully because I don't want to, I don't want to upset anybody, but sometimes people will approach me and say, man, Van, my horse is so good. He'll do it all by himself. Mm-hmm. And when I hear them say that, I'm thinking to myself, I think I know what you're really telling me, but what I'm really hearing is you've got a horse that's got an anticipation problem. Because again, your horse misunderstands the rules. It misunderstands the relationship. The The relationship is that I'm the brains, you're the brawn, you have all the ability to do it, and you're waiting on me to, to tell you to do it. Even in the events that looks like that the horse is doing it all by himself, case in point, cutting. If anybody's ever really, and I mean really ridden a cutting horse, the horse feels like and looks like he's doing a lot of it all on his own, but I'll guarantee you that anybody who's ever really ridden one will tell you that it's a lot of hard work. There's a reason why they tell the rider, never take your eyes off the cow, because it, the cow tells you where to go, and it tells you what the horse's next move is going to be, and it tells you to, to cue the horse to, to do that move. So, yeah, it feels like they're doing it all on their own, but the reality is you are very much the rider in that situation. So, again, I, I, I want to warn those. Don't try to impress me if they come up to me and we see me at a horse export or clinic and go, hey, man, I got a horse that's so good he does it all on his own. Because what I, I hear you saying that, and I hear you bragging about your horse, but the reality is you're telling on yourself and you're telling on your horse's habits of anticipation. So for our own safety and for our horse's better performance, the most important thing we can teach them is that we are the leaders, and as the leaders, we're going to give them all the skills they need to be successful, and then we're going to give them the cues to allow them to do their job that we've trained them to do. But they have to be, the great horses, as you've described them, have to be patient enough to wait for those cues from you, even if somewhere in their head they they think they know what the next step is, they need to be ready and willing to wait for you to, to tell them to go. Absolutely. And, you know, and the, another thing, too, that I want folks to think about is because we've heard this a lot and we've heard I, I've heard it my entire life. And and honestly, the more horses that I train, the more I realize that it's not as important as some folks make it out to sound. And And that thing is this, that repetition makes a good horse. And I'm not a big fan of that anymore. You know, if a horse gets it the first three or four or five times I show him, I don't want to drill it into his head so much that it becomes mundane and then he's going to be a little bit lackadaisical about doing the task or he's going to anticipate doing the task. In other words, he gets too good at doing that one job. 
So the most important thing that we can do for our horses is is keep a variety into their training program, variety that teaches them the same skills that we need, but at the same time keeps them honest. In other words, it keeps them to where they're they're thinking about us and they're ready to respond to us more so than just always anticipating. So again, let's think about that quote. Every good horse anticipates, but every great horse waits. And what are they waiting on? They're waiting on the leader. They're waiting on us to, to allow them to do what it is we want them to do, or they're waiting on us to tell them to do what it is that we want them to do. And it's our job in the meantime to train them those skills, keep the exercises Oh, a little bit less routine. I mean, give the routine enough to where the horses understand it and they understand how to do it. But at the same time, mix up the exercises to the point where it keeps that horse really honest and it keeps them listening to us. So let me ask this. You you talked about like barrel horses and I, I'm not a barrel. I don't ride, ride barrels, so I'm not an expert in that by any stretch of the imagination. But I've always understood and maybe wrongly that there's a pattern that they run around those barrels. And it sounds like what you're, and and so I would have assumed then that the way you train a horse to be a good barrel horse is to run that pattern over and over and over again until it becomes automatic. It almost sounds like you're saying that's actually not the best way to train them. And so would you say run a different pattern sometimes? That the point isn't to train them to memorize that pattern but to train them to listen to whatever you're telling them moment by moment. You betcha. And I'm going to, you know, this is really going to piss a lot of barrel racers off, but I've, I've been very fortunate in my career to be able to work with some of the top barrel racers in the country. And, um, and, and there's a, a couple that I always admired, Ed and Martha Wright. I hate to name drop and stuff, but Ed and Martha Wright divert, they deserve every bit of credit they can get from anybody in the industry. But, Ed's no longer with us, but Martha still is. And I, and I tell you, I learned so much from watching them because not only were they phenomenal at training horses and, and specifically barrels, that was kind of their forte, but I had the opportunity to watch Ed and listen to Ed work his horses. And very rarely did he really have the barrels set up in the arena. And he was the very first one that I ever heard use the term run, rate, and turn. You know, jokingly, he would tell me that, man, even, you know, even barrel racing is not rocket science. All it is is run, rate, and turn. All the barrels do is give them something to run, rate, and turn around. And the other thing is, is that when I, when asks, when someone tells me they've patterning their horses, and again, that's such a common term, oh, I'm going to pattern my horse on the barrels. Then I'm a little bit worried when I hear people say that, because I'm thinking, what if you go to an arena to where the arena is a little bit smaller? What if you go to an arena that the arena is a lot bigger? Now, sometimes there are standardized barrel patterns where the barrels are very specific distance apart, but unfortunately, they're not that same everywhere. So we've got to be aware of the fact that this horse, if he's anticipating his job, maybe not necessarily literal, but in kind of a another way, maybe the horse is counting strides as he's running out and toward that barrel. In his mind, he's thinking, okay, I'm going to run, I don't know, I'm just going to guess here. I'm going to run 30 strides and stop and turn. But the other thing, too, is is that when we get in the habit of doing a pattern and we do patterns so much, then the horse not only begins to anticipate the pattern, but they also begin to anticipate the movements that we make that tell them they're about to do a pattern. Okay, now I'm going to quit picking on the barrel racers for a moment, but what about in raining? See, in raining, and I'm going to get back to Ed's quote here in just a moment, but in raining, raining has several patterns, and it always always involves circles, straight lines, stops, 
rollbacks, and backups. It always involves those components. Okay, sometimes the circles are fast and large. Sometimes they're slower and smaller. But it's always circles. It's always straight lines. It's always rollbacks. It's always stops. And it's always backups. And it's always spins. Okay, so if a horse anticipates that every time they go across the middle of the arena, they might have to do a lead change, then what do you think the horse is thinking when he goes across the middle of the arena? He's thinking lead change. But what if the pattern doesn't call for a lead change? What if the horse is doing too much thinking and he accidentally does a lead change? And if he does a lead change on the wrong pattern at the wrong time, the rider just got disqualified. The horse is not going to get a score. If you're riding that horse for a client, that client just got pissed off. So what we do instead is we work on components. We work on circles at home. We work on straight lines at home. We work on uh, stops at home. We work on spins at home. We work on all of those things. We never put them together in a pattern. So now let's get back to what Mr. Wright said. A barrel pattern is not rocket science. It's either two rights and a left or two lefts and a right, depending on which barrel you go to first. And what does it involve? It involves a run, in other words, a run toward the barrel, a rate, which means the horse is going to quit running as fast as he can and slow down to where he can maneuver around the barrel. Then he's going to turn. So he's going to run, rate, and turn, then it starts all over again. Run, rate, and turn. And then he's going to run. And the only time he's going to rate now is when he's going out of the arena, and it's going to be after he crosses the finish line. So what he focused on and what he taught me to focus on for my barrel racing clients was just focus on... The efficiency of your stride. Be straight. Go. We, when we talked about that in a previous episode, be straight. And then learn to rate off, which means learn to slow yourself down using that big motor, that big hindquarter. And then learn how to make the turn. Now, do you need a barrel to do that? No, you can do it around a big old pile of horse crap out in the middle of your arena. It doesn't matter. You can do it around your kid, your dog. You can do it around anything. That's something that you can focus on. If people are out riding in the woods, they can do it around trees. There's a million different ways that we can teach a horse how to use himself and how to exercise and and execute that turn that we really want him to do. And when he masters the turn, we begin to add a little bit of speed. And before you know it, you can take him to a barrel racing and he can do the pattern. The only thing that should be about the pattern is he should be exposed to the pattern just enough where when he sees the barrel itself, he says, hey, you know what? I might need to be ready to turn at that thing. And I'm just going to wait and listen to old Van for him to tell me when to do it. And that's all the anticipation I want from him, you see. So we don't really need to do it to the point where the horse begins to overthink our maneuvers and overthink his job. Because see, if he overthinks our maneuvers, then what could really happen is, is that we could anticipate. And then if we anticipate and we lean toward the barrel, guess what the horse is going to do? Oh, now's the time I get to do my job. And they lean. And if we lean too early and now the horse leans too early, shazam, we just knocked over a barrel and we're out of the pattern. We're out of the, we're out of the money. And I've taken photo after photo after photo of horses that run over barrels. And 90% of the time I can show you that it's rider error. So see, sometimes the pattern work can actually be a big fault of our own. We're not really focusing on what we're doing, which is running rating, and then turning. And the same thing applies where it's doing cattle work. We run, we rate, we turn. The same thing happens when we're barrel or when we're team roping. We run, we rate, we rope, and we turn. So there's so many things that we're working on here. So what does that really tell us that we need to practice on at home and a number of different exercises is run, rate, and turn. 
In other words, get our horses really, really broke. And if they're really, really well-trained, and broke is kind of a term for that, but if they're really, really broke, then they're going to do whatever we ask them to do when we ask them to do it. And then if their breeding is good, in other words, if they're really bred to be great cow horses, then that breeding is going to help them when it comes to performing those skills that we help them learn. If they're really good barrel horses, then their speed and their agility that we've bred them for is going to come to shine, but our job is still to get them really real broke, not only in the skills, but also in the mindset so that they don't anticipate. So they're paying attention to what you're telling them moment by moment and, you know, gets back to that whole ride every stride kind of Girlfriend, you just nailed That's exactly what I was thinking. (laughs) You know, it's always back to that, isn't it? It's always back to that, where it comes back to ride every stride, which also puts the burden on the horse to listen every stride. You know, work with us, and we we have to ride, and they have to listen. Well, let me ask, I don't want to run us too long here, but we've we've talked about this whole concept of the good horse anticipating, the great horse waiting, mostly in a performance context. But it occurred to me as we were talking about that, that those same kind of exercises and teaching our horses to be patient and to wait for our instruction could apply to somebody who never wants to go into the show arena, just on the, you know, a very common thing that I've seen among my horse, horsey friends, the whole issue of, you know, you go out for a trail ride with your friends, and as soon as you come around the corner towards the barn, the horse takes off and is ready to run into the barn because they've anticipated, up, oh, we're done, I see, I see home, and so I'm going to run in and I always know that after we finish going down this trail, we come around and come up the driveway and and I get to go into the barn and do this. And so that to me is that same anticipation thing. Can those same kinds of exercises you talked about before in the performance context apply here of break your routine, don't do it the same way every time, keep riding past the barn entrance or, or, I mean, what are some things that a a person can do to to solve those kinds of issues just in a pleasure riding kind of context. Sure. Well, you hit the nail right on the head, and that's a great topic, in fact, the trail riding thing, because a lot of horses begin to anticipate, oh, good, we're headed home, rather than be back to the trailer if, they're, if they've hauled away to a trail ride or to a, a, a trail somewhere, a trailhead somewhere away from home, or if they're just out in the pasture somewhere and they're riding back to the barn. As you said, sometimes horses begin to anticipate and they begin to to increase their pace. So there's a number of exercises that we can do that one. But you hit you hit the nail right on, on the head on one that kind of targets a similarity to a previous exercise. For example, back in the arena, you do a circle, you stop and you turn. So what is the horse anticipating? He's He's anticipating when he returns off that trail of getting to that stopping spot at the barn or that stopping spot at the trailer or that stopping spot back at the trailhead, whatever that case may be, because see, he's anticipating, oh, thank God I get to be done carrying this guy around or carrying this lady around. I get to be done. I can relax. I can eat. So they're just anticipating that when they get back to that spot, wherever that spot may be in the arena or wherever that spot may be at home or where that spot might be at the trailer. But when they get to that spot, they get to rest. In other words, life gets good for them right there. So what can we do then if we can't change that spot? The barn is where the barn is. The trailer is where the trailer is. The trailhead is where the trailer head is. So what can we do to break that up? Well, when you get back to the trailhead, turn around and go again. Or 
keep riding the other direction for a little ways. Get off down there or just come back. But when you get there, don't stop. In other words, just keep making that maneuver, you see. Just keep doing it to where the horse is. You know what? I don't know if we're going to get to stop or not. And see, here's what I want people to think about. Why is it that ranch horses don't get that same anticipation about if they're outside in the pasture working cows and they get to turn around and come back toward the barn or back to the hitching rail or back to the bunkhouse? Why don't they speed up and get anxious? I'm, and I'm sure there's going to be somebody send me a message in that says, well, mine does. He gets worried. He gets he gets in a hurry going home. Well, to me, he's probably not a ranch horse that gets used enough, I guess, because too many times, just because we get back to the ranch doesn't mean we're done. Oftentimes, the horse stayed saddled and he he's ready to go again. We get back to the, the barn and we've got cattle to sort or we've got other jobs to do. So the horse begins to realize that, wow, just because we're back at the barn doesn't necessarily mean that work is over. Which brings my attention to another suggestion that we could do. Get back to the barn. If the horse did good when he got there, then you're done. But if he's anxious getting back or if he's still anxious when you get him to the barn, exercise him at the barn. There's lots of different things you can do to get him to consume energy, to consume calories. And all the while, you're still looking that you want from your horse, which is to be relaxed. You want him to be calm. You don't want him to, you want him to be under control emotionally and and in every sense of the word, I guess you could say. So if that's the case, then you want the horse to, when he gets in that state, then you can stop. And again, that goes back to a whole other quote, doesn't it? Make the right thing easy. In other words, if he does the job correctly, and that's the right thing, the easy thing to do would be to step off and call it a day and he gets to conserve the rest of his energy. But make the wrong thing difficult is the other half of that. So if he comes home and he's too anxious or he's too upset or or he kind of forced the situation, then you make him do more work until he calms down and gets relaxed. Over time, you see, in enough time and exercise and practice with this, not only do we get better at becoming better horsemen, the horses learn to start controlling their emotions. And they begin to quit acting like little spoiled children and act like horses that they are, and they're going to wait on the leader instead of being so demanding. And really, the exercises could go on and on, but I'm glad you touched on that, Laura, because that is probably... One of the most common issues we get about horses that get kind of what I call antsy on the trail on the way home. And there's a lot of other exercises we could do along the way as well. It really puts it on us as the riders to be paying attention and communicating with the horse literally every stride and to not let ourselves get all, oh, good word. It's been a long ride. It's been a long whatever. I'm hot and tired. I'm ready to go into into the house. Let's you know, race up to the barn, take the saddle off, turn them loose and run for it. We have now taught them that that's the routine. And it's not surprising that they anticipate that. So it puts it on us to be patient if we want our horses to be patient and to do the right thing by the horse. And we have to set pretty high standards. You see, we talked about this today at the ranch, and that's that too many times you hear people say, well, he's a good horse, but, or he's a good horse, except... And, and before you know it, you see, we lower our standards and we start making excuses for for our horses. Oh, he's really good, except for when you take him out on a trail, boy, when you turn around and come home, he's going to be in a big hurry. But man, the rest of the time, he's great. Well, isn't that half the ride, getting back home? <laughs> so you're telling me that half the ride he's good and half the ride he's bad. Well, that's a 50. That's 50%. That's a failing grade, you see? But if you tolerate that, then after a while, you're just you're just going to say it's okay for a horse to be 50%. Well, I've yet to see a horse that's 50% be a great horse. But if you want to ride 
average horses are worse, D and F students, then keep doing it. But my argument is raise the bar for yourself and raise the bar for your horse. It's great exercise for you and horsemanship. And believe it or not, it's not going to be easy, but that horse will learn to appreciate it too because they don't want to be anxious. They're consuming more energy by fighting you to get home. They just don't know any different because their leader hasn't stepped up to the plate as the leader and showed them that it's being calm and relaxed on the way home, just like you left the ranch, is just as easy and you'll conserve more energy doing it. But we have to we have to kind of know the difference and we have to hold the horse to a high standard and we have to hold ourselves to that same high standard. Well, and there you have it. So the patience is necessary for us and necessary for us to teach our horses through the things that we, the, the way we ride them and the way we treat them. A lot of things to think about on this. I'm sure uh, listeners may have questions. And as always, I know, Van, you welcome those questions. So if you're listening and, and you want more information about this, or you've got some thoughts about this, share those. You can uh, leave a Post in the comments on this episode on the website at vanhargis.com. Look for episode 36. You can also post a question or a comment about this episode on the Van Hargis Horsemanship Facebook page. Van watches that and, and would love to engage in a conversation with you there. If you've got questions or comments about this that you'd like to share privately, you can email Van at info at vanhargis.com. And he'll be happy to hear from that from you about that. So lots of things to think about there. Uh, real quick, because we've gone a little long. It's an interesting conversation, at least to me, uh, the, the things that you talked about, Van. But for listeners who, who enjoyed this episode, we would love it if you would help us spread the word about Ride Every Stride and help us grow the audience of, of people who are hearing and participating in this conversation. So tell your friends about the show. Show them how to subscribe. If you really like the show and you haven't done so already, uh, it would be really helpful if you'd go into iTunes and leave a brief review of the show there. It's very quick and simple to do that if you go into iTunes and look for Ride Every Stride there, and you'll see a little tab for uh, reviews. So just a sentence or two is really helpful. Van, real quick, I know as this episode uh, is will be published, it's right before you're leaving for an event that I know you're pretty excited about. You might want to share real quick in case there are listeners in the area that uh, might come say hi to you. You betcha, Laura. It's, uh, it's, it's WESA, which is the Western English Sales Association. It's an event that happens every year in Denver. Sometimes people refer to it as the Denver Market. This is, I think, the third time I've been asked to speak at this particular event. We're speaking two different times. We're going to be there from January the 13th to the 17th. And when I'm not up there in front of everybody doing the presentation, I want to invite those who do attend to come up and and look me up and, and share their stories, their experiences with me. And uh, probably if I'm not there in the presentation area, I'm going to be hanging out at the Rainsman booth and we're going to be promoting my saddles and my tack and, and all the other stuff. And we've already had some people uh, call in and say they want to come and talk to me about my saddles. I love to answer questions about the tack and about the saddles and all the other kind of stuff. So please look us up at WISA and that's going to be in uh, January the 13th through the 17th there in Denver, Colorado. All right. And I'm sure that's going to be a lot of fun, a lot of people there to see and talk to. Quick reminder for those of you who haven't already signed up, be sure and visit the website at vanhargis.com and click on the, the button for more information about the Top Hand Club. We've talked about this on 
several episodes. This is a, a pretty recent launch, but not a new idea for Van. It's something that Van's uh, been thinking about and planning for for Cal as long as I've known you. I think Van, we've, we've right, talked yeah. about it for years. And yep. it's finally out there. This is that membership site you pay. Uh, really, it's a great bargain for those who get in at the ground floor. At this point, it's only four ninety five a month. Is that right? Yes, ma'am. It's four ninety five a month, and uh, and that's for what we call our charter members for the first thousand members. And I'm very proud to say that we are closing on that quicker than I ever dreamed. So I really want those folks to. Look us up on the, on that website. Go to the Top Hand Club. Join it. I promise you it, it, it's going to be worth your while. I'm, I'm so excited about it because we're going to get to see a lot of the older video clips that we did. And we cut those things down to where extremely informational, bite-sized bits of information. And then we're, we're literally shooting new videos every week at the ranch. We go nowhere now without the video camera. So I'm always looking for opportunities to shoot things or to interview people and to do different things. And all of those videos are going to be available on the website uh, on that. We're calling it like a limitless library. And at this point in time, $4.95, you have access to all of those, our newsletter and opportunities to get in contact with us. And on top of that, 10% off everything on the website, including clinic participation. So I've tried to put as much value in this as I possibly could, Laura. And like you said, it's been something I've wanted to do for an extremely long time. Yeah. So Definitely don't wait. If that's something you've been considering doing, check out the website. Look uh, at vanhargis.com for the uh, information about the Top Hand Club and sign up today before it's too late and the price gets significantly higher. There's tons of, <laughs> tons of benefits to it and you don't want to miss out on this great price. I think that's it. Van, any, any last words or any, anything we've missed? Uh, Laura, I can't think of a thing other than just, again, I just want to extend my appreciation to to both you and John. Without you two, the the, the podcast literally couldn't be possible. So I, I thank you guys from the depths of my heart. also want to say thank you to the listeners. And we're always pleased at how many people are listening and how many people are downloading. But we'd also like to encourage those folks to subscribe. Don't miss a thing. Uh, the subscription's important to us, but that gives me an idea is who our regular listeners are. So I really want to encourage those folks to subscribe to Ride Ever Stride. So Laura, with that said, I just want to say thank you to everybody. And remember, until next time, it's your ride, your trail, it's your journey. So ride every stride. Ride every stride.